Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Abolition as Resurrection podcast. This is Gia. And this is Camille. Before we begin, we want to explain why this podcast miniseries is specifically made for the season of Lent and Easter. For those who are unfamiliar, Lent is a 40-day period in the Christian liturgical calendar. Many Christian faith traditions observe this period of time to commemorate the 40 days of fasting that Jesus did in the desert in preparation for his public ministry. Lent can be observed in many ways. The most popular form is to spend these days fasting and praying. In a simpler context, fasting is the art of releasing, and praying is the art of invitation. We offer this podcast, Abolition as Resurrection, in the similar vein of spiritual formation. This podcast is divided into two parts that we invite you to engage in each week, interviews and meditations. The interviews provide different aspects of how to pursue an abolition lifestyle. We are learning how to release mind frames, logics, and lifestyles that are oppressive and cause harm. The meditations are an invitation to hear the narratives written by those impacted by incarceration. We will walk you through a process to further release problematic logics and invite new ways to grow in your spiritual formation and as an abolitionist. We are excited to have you here with us on this journey. Hey everyone, welcome to Abolition as Resurrection, a podcast co-created by Gia Johnson and Camille Hernandez. We're really happy to have you here for our first episode. I'm Camille. Hi everyone, this is Gia. So excited that you're here with us today. <laughs> and I'm excited to jump into this conversation with you, friends. I know! <laughs> so looking forward. Uh, okay, so if you are here, welcome. You are new. We are new. This is all very new. What we want to do for this episode is to lay the foundation and provide an introduction for what this project means to us and what our hopes and our intentions are. Um, Gia, is there anything that you also want to add for your hope for this project? Yeah, I think really just wanting to kind of um Along the same lines, really just wanting to kind of set the stage for what's to come. We're really excited um, about what we've been cooking up and dreaming up over here and want to lay that foundation. Um, and also just to be honest, like I'd really like uh, us just to be able to build a relationship um, as best as we can with with our listeners and kind of invite them to, to kind of hear a little bit about who we are um, and why this project. Yeah. Yeah. And with that said, let's talk about so let's talk about our trailer. So we started this project with like a four minute trailer that Mm -hmm. was explaining where we're coming from in regards to not only who we are as like organizers, um, I mean, who we are as community organizers, but also our own faith journey. And then being able to understand what is the relationship between abolition and resurrection, if there is any relationship at all. And Gia, you shared a story um, that you had captioned along with the trailer that was that was really interesting. So if anyone hadn't read your story, could, could you could you just explain a little bit more about about that or tell us the story so we understand your where where you've come and how you are approaching abolition? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the trailers, I think there was two things that I kind of noted. So in the trailer, I talked about um, just just kind of a little bit of like my own journey. So I 
I very much consider myself an unchurched person. Mm -hmm. Um, I came to the faith much later in life, um, in my, in my early thirties. And I think you and I were talking about this a little bit too. Like, um, it was interesting. Easter was a really significant moment for me. Um, and while it wasn't, even after we did the trailer, I was like, wait a second, am I being totally honest about this? Um, because May 27, <laughs> 2011 is, is actually kind of like the, the real kind of like awakening for me. Mm-hmm. But there was these seeds that were planted um, prior to the weekend of May 27th. And it really, it started with a conversation. Um, I was like in a really bad time in my life. I had actually just left Texas and was in Denver. So, you know, that um, I always like to say that, like, it was like my exodus into the wilderness. I'm moving El Paso, I'm moving into <laughs> I Denver. personally love this language. Yes. Right. Right. Like, just like, get, like, move, removing me from just the things that were distracting me, not giving me um, some space to, to kind of really dig into some deeper things. And so it was getting it, it was moving into Denver that really kind of started that. And there was, there was three kind of significant moments. There was one moment where, um, I was hanging out with someone that I had, that I had just met. We were friends and we were drinking and smoking. I used to smoke Newports. And so we were hanging out on my balcony. Okay. <laughs> smoking. I didn't know Newport. this fun fact about you. Yes, okay. Yes. 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 Um, so <laughs> I don't smoke anymore. I haven't smoked for a long time. Um, and so I was, I was hanging out with this friend and we sat on the balcony. She was, she was must, she must've been about like 10 to 15 years older than me. And I don't know, I just, I just remember having like this really weird kind of like moment where I was just like, I was looking at her, but looking at my future. I know it was like, it was like the weirdest thing. And okay, it was, this moment okay, I it was like, just like, yeah, I was just like, if I, if something doesn't change, things are not going to kind of go well for me. And so that was like the first kind of like seed that was planted. The second seed was, um, it was Valentine's Day actually. And my mom always sends like these like cute little packages for her children on Valentine's Day. She's like the best. And she was this book on T.D. Jakes. Um, it, was, it, was, it was his wife actually that had wrote this book. And, and then a few days later, one of my coworkers is like, hey, do you know who T.D. Jakes is? Like he has a church out here. Um, it's called the Potter's House. Like and Easter's coming up, like you should go. <laughs> so like, okay okay it's so weird so random and then and then I had met a guy and the guy went to the Potter's house too and so I was like okay super weird so I ended up going to Potter's house and and then like I, I went to church it was cool or whatever I don't even remember um like significantly but I remember I went and then and it was just like I think it was from that moment forward my life just kind of started to make like this like shift and like just kind of take this different direction. And so, and so anyways, like that was just kind of like this, this opening for me of like the old is gone, this new is kind of ushering in. And it was just like this place of like, um, what was, what really did feel like, um, like a spiritual death in many ways. I felt like I was, I was coming alive, even though there was a lot of weeping, a lot of healing, a lot of pain, a lot of exposure of things, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and so that, and so, so that, that whole journey, I think has really kind of led me into this place of like justice work and like trying to figure out like who God is and what is the church and what does it look like for me to bring my whole self into this place, scars and wounds and all of the things that 
that I think oftentimes people don't come into the church for because of the judgment, the scrutiny. Um, and I think in particular for unchurched people, people mm -hmm. that did not grow up in the church, you know, and that have like this whole life mm -hmm. that's so very um, um, contrary, I would say to some of like the, the superficial kind of like, um, more behavioral type things that I feel like mm -hmm. we tend to associate salvation with, if that makes sense. Or yeah, that does. Just, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so anyways, that, that was, that, that was the entry point. Um, and, and so it's just, it's just, it's just been this long journey. Gia, I want to go back to our trailer where we both talked about our spiritual journeys and our journeys with how we are approaching abolition, um, and our understandings of it. And you mentioned something that I just want us to, to, to talk about in our own capacities. And it was that your faith was resurrected. Can you, can you dive deeper into that story so we can have an understanding of what that means? Yeah, that's a really, yeah. Thanks for asking that. Um, so I think as I, as I kind of already mentioned, it's, it was, it was definitely just kind of like this, um, I think my faith was resurrected over time, over like a short period of time, um, through these like little breadcrumbs. Um, okay. what was it resurrected from, you know? Mm. Um, and I, I would say that like, there was this like really pivotal moment. And this is why May 27th is such a significant, um, weekend for me. Um, I was faced with having to, to make a hard decision. Um, I had made this decision before, but for some reason it just felt differently this time. And I remember coming to this place where I literally felt like I was like, I was watching a photo album in my memory of these events in my life. And I, what I could see was the content of my own self, like of my own heart. And it was like this, like really jarring moment where I was just like, I don't know that I like myself. Mm. And and I remember just feeling like, but I actually just don't know how to change. Like I had, I had already known that I had been spiraling out of control for some time and from a lot of woundedness, just like a lot, a lot, a lot of trauma that I had experienced in um, interpersonal relationships, racial trauma, um, trauma of sexism and patriarchy. And I didn't have the language and I didn't have the tools to really understand those things when I was in my twenties. And I think I kind of came to this place where I was hitting this wall. And, and part of this, this scene of myself was seeing who I didn't, I didn't like who I was becoming, but felt utterly powerless to figure out how to become anything different. Mm. And I think the, the story that like really has always kind of resonated with me in, in like the biblical, in like the scriptures is the story of the prostitute that walks, barges into the room with Jesus and all of these like Pharisees. And she's like, she kneels at his feet and like, she's like weeping and yes. he's just like, so loving and like, so compassionate with her. Yeah. Like, okay. I, I felt like her, like, I, like I most identified with her. And I, so, mm -hmm. and I feel like while I may not in that weekend of May 27th, I didn't call out to Jesus and say, like, come be my savior. I didn't even have like an awareness, uh, a, a conscious awareness of that but I do believe that like the spirit moved and like saw me and like met me and and provided me with just like a place of like love and compassion and like literally like took me by the hand and invited me on this journey um 
And it wasn't until about a year later, I was, I had left Denver and I was in Southern California at this point, And I was attending a large mega church. And I think it may have been the first service. And again, I think it was around Easter. And, and I remember the pastor, gosh, I'm losing it right now, but I remember the, there's a scripture, gosh, I, how, how am I forgetting this at this moment? But there's a scripture that kind of talks about like the Holy spirit, like comes and like dwells with inside of you and kind of Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you're a temple for the Holy spirit. Yeah, dude. And I remember just thinking like, oh my God, that's what happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And it was just like, it was just like, oh my gosh, like this is it. (laughs) Okay. okay. Crazy. It was so crazy. And so, and I mean, literally it was like, my life literally took like this radical, like 360, like a total change of direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I was no longer in the places that I once was. And I was now moving in, in this new space. I'll say this last thing. I remember when I was still in Denver, I remember this moment, I can still see myself sitting on the couch and thinking to myself, like, I have no idea, like what is happening in my inner life. But what I do know is that like, I have been moved from one place of darkness and brought into a new place of darkness. Mm. But there's a very stark difference between this darkness. The darkness that I feel like I was in before, I felt lonely and isolated and disconnected. This new place, I'm weeping and I'm, and and like in some sort of like spiritual pain, spiritual depression, Mm -hmm. and it hurts, but I know that I'm not alone. Okay. That's beautiful. Right. And so I'm going to dive into that in my own mind some more, but okay. Yeah. And it was just like, I, I, I don't have a lot of community out here. I had enough community. But like in my inner being, like I felt warmth, I mm. felt connection, I felt belonging, even though I was in this place of la- of lament and weeping and kind of mourning, you know? Yeah. And, and so that was that, that is, I would say I was resurrected um, from the systems mm-hmm. and the structures mm-hmm. and the woundedness of the world. Mm-hmm. And really brought into this place of like, let's heal now. Mm-hmm. Let's heal. Let's let's rebuild. Okay. You know, okay. I'm going to repair and restore some things. And it's just been this 10-year journey of uncovering, rerooting, uprooting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. Ah, that's so beautiful. <laughs> oh. mm. Yes. I'm having like a Pentecostal Baptist moment right now. <laughs> <laughs> you have that Pentecostal Baptist I'm just moment. <laughs> sitting here like, oh, that is so beautiful. So that was a little bit of like my own kind of resurrection journey. Um, I'm super curious to hear more about yours. I know that you talked about in your trailer about how you've been curious about whether or not your idea of resurrection was too small based on kind of some of your, your, your upbringing in the church. Yeah. So I, I mean, I come from a lot of different churches. Like I was raised in my early childhood in the Catholic tradition, um, specifically amongst my Filipino family. Um, and then in my late teens and post-college life, I was in the white evangelical church. During college, I was in a black Southern Baptist church in um, Central California. 
So all of those pieces inform my spirituality. Um, but it was the last, I would say decade or so I spent in white evangelicalism that I'm currently just on this journey of like decolonizing and, and uprooting and walking, not walking, not so much like walking away from, um, but it's very much the imagery of like, I'm just trying to, to dismantle as much of it as I possibly can to really understand what it means to not just be a Christian, but like to, to not be a spiritual asshole, <laughs> to be completely honest. Can you say that again? The spiritual abuse. <laughs> the spiritual oh, abuse. Like I just don't want I'm, thing. I'm I'm really tired of using spirituality to justify being an awful person. Um and and I have learned that in so many ways. And it wasn't, I mean, I'm not gonna say it wasn't just the evangelical church, but like it like it it happened when I was in the black church. It it happened when I was a Catholic. Like it, it's just, I feel like this is like the way of people. Um, but I, so the crazy thing within all this and in my own story, right. Is that when I was in college, I went to, um, UC Santa Cruz. So, Hey, banana slugs. And I majored in a, a major that was solely focused on social justice and community organizing. And the professors who were there, were these incredible people, like a lot of queer feminists. Um, we had, let's see, I, I was like mentored by a um, Jewish queer feminist um, film and culture critic. You know, we had Angela Davis, who was a professor. We had just a lot of like, a lot of incredible thought and intellectualism and activism coming out of my university. And it's often said that like in, in Christian circles that there's like this duality that like you want to be this good Christian person and then you're like stuck with the, you're like stuck in the world. So you can't become a Christian because you're stuck in the duality of it. And I fed so much into that theology without even realizing that like, it's not that these are two separate entities. It's that there needs to be a fusion of both in order to like, in order to thrive. Mm -hmm. So for me, there's, there's this sense of like, I have walked away from a faith community that even though it was really, it was really nice, like they're nice people and, you know, white, nice, nice white people can be very disastrous. Um, there is a lot of death in the theology. And I didn't need that anymore. I didn't want to be complicit with that. Um, there's either death or there was gaslighting or there was a downplaying of suffering. And I, I couldn't handle it. Like I, I couldn't handle saying like, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. And then being, being with people who are like, I really like that, you know, Trump put children in the border jails. I like that they're separated from their families. Like I legitimately... <laughs> I mean, I, I felt like I was like internally screaming inside every day that I would go to a church. So I left church and have been on my own journey of, um, I guess we would call it Christian mysticism, but really it's just like deepening my spirituality. And yeah. I, I love Jesus. I think 
Jesus is that dude. Like he's so important. (laughs) Um, but I don't want to love Jesus from the lenses that I was given in the past Mm -hmm. because those lenses and the people who, who held those lenses really were like harbingers of death, whether or not they wanted to admit it. So for me, in my own like spiritual resurrection journey, it is taking a look at who Jesus is as a brown man, a Palestinian Jew, a migrant, um, someone who's impoverished, someone who is working class. Um, looking at the embodied reality of who Jesus was in in the context of the empire that he lived in and, and knowing not just who he was, but like what he did and how radical it was and how eye-opening it was. That's where I'm at in my resurrection, where I don't, I don't really, like, I don't want any part of white evangelical theologies or the theologies that are rooted in like hyper-individualism um, the theologies that are rooted in like justifying genocide, justifying enslavement, um, justifying death. I, I am on this constant journey of like really needing to know why Jesus was so spiritually and politically radical. And what does it mean for us to follow in those steps? Yeah, that's so, that's, there's so many things. There's so many things that we can kind of like unpack and dive into. And there's so many points that you shared in your own kind of resurrection journey that really resonate um, with my own self. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think, you know, there's so many people that are, that are searching, that yeah. have experienced the apathy of the church, yeah. you know, whether it's the white church and, or the black church, you know, what it, whatever, or what, whether it's non-denominational or Pentecostal or, or the Latin church or the Asian or the Latin church, church. Yeah. exactly. Progressive church. Like there, there is this, um, th- this pervasiveness, this, this pervasive kind of like apathy with people suffering. Um, or wanting to over-spiritualize the sufferings that people experience that are really, that really, that are just so contrary to who Jesus was and is, right? Like, yeah, just like, it's not the same. Well, it's like the, that whole, like people saying God doesn't put more on you than you can bear. And I was like, do you actively want me to hate God? Like, (laughs) because when people tell me that as like a comforting statement, I'm like, I don't, not only do I not feel comforted, I have this seething rage and jealousy within me that you're justifying my suffering instead of coming alongside and not just walking alongside with me, but like, how do we create this community that is focused on flourishing? Right. Instead of, instead of, yeah, statements like, you know, God doesn't put more on you than you can bear. It makes God sound more like a punisher. Um, and a, and yeah, a punisher, a torturer, a jailer, then, then a father yep. or even like an idea of what a good father is. And even just like the spiritual arrogance, you know, the yeah. statements of like, I'm blessed. 
because you're blessed based on like some material status. But what mm-hmm. about all the folks that are struggling in poverty? Yeah. Or what about the folks that that don't have access to some of the material resources that you have access based on your social location and your social identity, whether yeah. it's race or education, you know, whatever class you fall in. Like, mm-hmm. I think that when we, I think that I hear that so often and there's just so many things that are really put off in it. And I think it's well-meaning. Mm-hmm. you know, but just unaware of what the impact is on your neighbor. Yeah. Um, and, and how that also, um, opens up a lot of questions of like, well, does God see me? Yeah. Is God with me? That also makes me want to redefine what the term blessing is, because I, I mean, in, in the American Western context, you, you can't really escape the idea that blessing is based off of the material. Right. And in my own personal resurrection journey, it's, I, I want blessing to translate into what is communal right. instead of material, which is why I, um, I loved two, two, three years ago when we talked about, I love that two, three years ago when we talked about abolition, you were the first one to tell me that abolition was resurrection. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, please tell me more. Mm. Um, which since then I've just been thinking about and have been holding on to. So Gia, I, I can't stop thinking. I have not stopped thinking about this, this title, this, this knowledge that you have of abolition as resurrection. Can you, can you explain a little bit further, not only how you came to understand that, but what it means to you in this context today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was actually, this, I mean, it really, really kind of first came to be for me last year, to be honest. Um, it was, it was last April. And I mean, I've written about this in many different ways and, and, and um, told this story, but the last several years were really hard for me and my own kind of like family of, which um, is my own family dynamic. I have a, I have a loved one who has struggled with, um, with some mental health and, you know, just his relationship with the carceral system. And so working on supporting my loved one through that process while also doing the work like in a carceral space, um, I, I direct a, a higher ed in um, prison or higher ed and jail program for a seminary. And I think with COVID and just, oh my gosh, just so many things, I had come to this place where I was really questioning and wondering and wrestling with um, how to how to continue to do this work and do it in sustainable ways. Um, I think I came to this point where I felt really pessimistic. I mean, we had the insurrection, we had the social uprisings. Oh my gosh, we had so much. And, and I did, I found myself in this place of, um, of cynicism and in a place of like, I'm so full of rage and anger. I don't know what to do with it. And I feel like I'm burning up on the inside. Um, I had also, and earlier last, um, in December of, of 2020, someone had gotten a hold of my phone number and I wrote, and I wrote about this when we talked about the abolition as resurrection. Um, someone had got a hold of my phone number and started sending me like these really terrifying, harassing, um, messages. Yeah. And, and it was just, con- it was just like this constant re-traumatization. Yeah. And so in the thick of, of trying to kind of manage all that was on my plate, I felt like I just, I needed some hope. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And part of it, and I, th I think it was just kind of like putting some pieces together where I was looking around my community. And I mean, I, I, hate, I mean, most of my core community is obviously folks who are in the movement. Um, a lot of um, directly impacted, formerly, um, formerly incarcerated folks. And I was just, I started to just see how people were like organizing and, and doing like mutual aid support um, out on the streets, um, giving folks food. Um, I had folks who were out in the protest um, praying for people, giving water, mm -hmm. um, being like spiritual support. And so I think as I, I started to see all these things, I was like, man, like that's really fucking beautiful. Yes, the, in the is. midst of all of this, like in the midst of all of this ugliness, mm -hmm. you see people who are so committed to liberation, so committed to justice that they're willing to go out and do this like on the ground, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I mean, and we were doing it in a different way in my own work, you know, with folks who are incarcerated, you know, um, we, we put money on people's books, our students' books. We organize a letter writing solidarity community. We organize a, a, a PPE um, fundraiser where we were getting funds into the jail. Um, I was just connected to all of these like beautiful organizing communities, just doing movement work. And, and when I think about the cross as like, like having this double meaning, which many theologians have said this, one of my colleagues, Jenny McBride, who will be with us towards the end of, of this um, series, um, she wrote a book called Radical Discipleship, and she talks about how like the cross has this double meaning, and this is this is not my own words. That it is both a symbol of the depths to which God will go to love humanity, all of creation, into beloved community, mm. and it is also the symbol of state-sanctioned violence, mm. the violence of empire. Mm -hmm. The violence of, of lopsided hierarchy, mm -hmm. right? The violence of, of scarcity over abundance, mm -hmm. the violence of profit over people. Mm -hmm. And so and so we so so we are in crucified communities, right? Crucified communities by empire. Oh, and what man. does it look like for resurrection to burst into these crucifixion Good Friday moments? Ooh. Right. <laughs> okay. And so, right, because is that not what resurrection is? Is not resurrection for us saying that like God says, no, you death, you evil empire, you the ways of violence and harm, you actually do not have the last word. Yeah. But love does. Healing does, beloved community does, like abundance does, mm -hmm. right? And so, and so when I see my community like bursting into these, the uglies of empire and bringing justice, that is beautiful. That is resurrection. Amen. And so, and that is honestly what gives me hope. Like that is what restores is this idea of, of resurrection um, kind of bursting into these Good Fridays. And so what does that mean when we think about it with abolition? I feel like that is what abolition is. Mm -hmm. I feel like abolition is, it's a frame, it's an organizing tool, it's a model, it's a lifestyle, it's a way of being that says, mm -hmm. I do not participate with carceral logics. Yes. I do not participate with doing more harm. Mm -hmm. Right. Like whether it's 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 whether it's in the institutional cultures that we create, whether it's the policies that we bring, whether it's the everyday relationships that we engage in. Mm -hmm. I do not want to do more harm. And mm -hmm. so what does it look like for me to not do that? And so I think within abolition movements or within the abolition frame, like I think there's some key things. Right. It's like it's that we ask questions about 
not not questions that are rooted at like what that particular individual is wrong, but more along like what happened. Yeah. How did we get to this place? Yes. Right. How did we get to the place where we have prisons and jails housing people that have mental health issues and substance dependency as opposed to giving them treatment yeah. and, and mental and quality mental mental health services, right? Mm-hmm. Why do I have students in the carceral classroom at the Cook County Jail that tell me that in the four years of pretrial detention, they've had a better education than they did in the four years of high school? Why mm. is that? Right? Yeah. Like, why, why? So, so I think that these are the questions that abolition is asking. And and, and to me, like the two between resurrection and abolition, I, I think that, the, that there's a connection between the two. Resurrection is trying to usher in this new world. Abolition is working to usher in a new social order. And I think that there's a lot of alignment there. Yeah. Oh, that's so much to think about. <laughs> even, even Koas, even little baby Koa in the background enjoyed all of that. I'm not silent about my healing journey, especially my journey from in healing from spiritual abuse. So when I think of just the term crucified community, I am putting that side to side with, with all the ways that I've been hurt within the context of church. (laughs) And, um, and how, yeah, the church actually looks more like crucified community than resurrected community. And as I'm not, I, I still believe in the church. I just don't believe in the institution yeah. or the business yeah. of church. Yeah. Um, so when I think of like all of the ways that activism and organizing and mutual aid and support, how, how that to me is, is, that's the reality of liberation. I don't want to say the word church because I am so like, it's still a hurtful word for me. It's still, I still struggle with it. Um, but yeah, I just, as, as you were explaining all of the beautiful, incredible work that you and your community are doing on the ground in Chicago, I want in to Chicago. Say in Chicago, yes. in Chicago, <laughs> I just need to say in Chicago. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me be clear. <laughs> on the grounds of Chicago. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it for me. Right. I, I, I'm someone who's like, I'm so thoroughly obsessed with the kingdom of God. I love all the imagery in scripture of the kingdom of God and how it is a backwards kingdom and how the lion and the lamb lie together and and a, a young child will lead them. And, um, I love the imagery of what the kingdom of God is and I haven't seen any context in which it could be made reality without first accepting abolition as the way forward. Say more. And yeah, it's so, I think it's because like the theology of evangelicalism of Westernism, um, which really is like the theology, it's not just a theology based in whiteness because I've seen it happen in the black church and and the Catholic church is just a colonizing entity altogether. Uh, (laughs) But when I think of even the ways we talk about Jesus dying for our sins and how this is like, it is an atonement that needs to be paid 
or that you've been, or these languages of like, you've been bought with a price, right? You've had to do this. Um, I keep on thinking that that is such a limited understanding of the entire weight of the revolutionary work that Jesus has done in his lifetime and that the Holy Spirit continues to do through us. Because for me, it's, it's okay. If God, if God paid for me with the price and the price was his son, I have been told so often like, oh, that's how much God loves you. He would sacrifice his own son. And I've, I've seen the, the worst sermon of my life that I've ever seen was a pastor who put a picture of his son up and was like, like trying to guilt the whole church into, mm-hmm. in, into like understanding his sermon. I remember sitting there being like this, like, this isn't even mediocrity. Like this is just, bad. <laughs> but this idea that God is judge, jury, and executioner that we hold in our Western theologies, it doesn't make space for God to be restorer. And I would much rather hold on to a God of restoration than a God of punishment. And I know that I, I, I actually don't like operating in like binaries. I try really hard to have nuance and to hold different concepts and thoughts together. But to me, I'm having a hard time understanding if the two can coexist because I don't want to have, I don't want to have God who is judge, jury, and executioner because I've seen how that theology plays into justifying a police state. So I am so accustomed to like trying really hard to hold nuance, to hold two things together and having that lead the path forward. But when it comes to these parts of God's identity, I don't have space to think that punishment and restoration are entities that can coexist. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no I, I, I think and a part of that is because I've done trauma-informed care for so long that you're, you, you asked and like I, in asking the questions of like, um, why are you here instead of what created the environment in which you were so disenfranchised that you had that like jail was the only option, you know, in, in trauma-informed care, it is, the questions are not what what's wrong with you. The question is what happened to you. And I don't need a I don't need a God who said what's who says what's wrong with you. I don't need a God who leads with punishment. I need a God, a theology that really bases an understanding in in knowing the trauma and the pain that surrounds us and seeks to position us in a way that moves us forward, moves us towards right, the kingdom of God, the place of liberation. And yeah, I, I know that's what I need in my own theology, which is why I'm new to abolition. Um, and I am like still reading my books and still understanding things and still asking a bunch of questions. But the way that it is right now isn't good enough for me. And I'm not saying that I have a God complex, but if it's not good enough for me and if there's still so much suffering and pain and we're justifying it theologically, then I would go as far to say that it's just not good enough for God either. I mean, you bring up, you, you, you say so much, like so many wonderful things. Um, I don't know if wonderful is the right word, but so many spot on, so -hmm. many spot on observations. Um, And yeah, I think, 
I don't even know where to begin. Um, some of it is just because I think it, it there's so many, oh my gosh, the atonement theories and just the way that Christianity has kind of embedded itself in so many of our different structures and institutions. Um, I think to to really kind of, the, the, way in the ways in which Christianity has been married with white supremacy is the problem in, in, Western, in, in Western theology, right? Yeah, say that, and, say and that, not, say that. And it's not just, and, and it's global too, right? Like yeah. We find it seeping its ways in, in so many different countries. And I mean, we can go on and on, you know, um, the project of colonization. And so, I mean, even just when we think about like the construction of like the carceral system and the and the way in its connection to, to Christianity and Calvinism and, and this redemptive suffering, right? That we are redeemed through suffering, that we are redeemed through punishment. And I and I think, and I think some of I think part of what's happened is that like these carceral logics, these, these, this, this notion that in order for us, this this notion of retribution, in order for us to right a wrong, somebody has to suffer. I think it it, it constricts our imagination to think outside of the box. Yes. And I think that abolition invites us to imagine different. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, and I think when when we think about abolition, it's not to say that people that have harmed don't have a consequence. The question is, what is the consequence? What mm. what, what what is accountability, right? And I think when we, I think I think Old Testament gives us a story, right? We have Cain and Abel, yeah. right? When Cain killed Abel, what was God's response? God's response was not retribution, retaliation, revenge, an eye for an eye, right? Mm -hmm. Cain was Cain had to leave the community. Yeah. And he had a mark of protection. Yeah, that was he a mark of protection. Yes. And had a mark of protection, right? So so we have this we have this God that sees when harms have been committed and acknowledges that these are not okay. Yeah. But I'm not going to I'm not going to meet violence with violence. Yeah. Violence just begets more violence. Mm -hmm. And so we have a God who says accountability is good mm -hmm. and we're going to do that and we're also going to make sure that the person who has harmed is also cared for too. Mm. And we do not have a justice system that is set up that way. We actually don't engage with one another that way. I mean, we can talk about call out cancel, cancel culture, right? Like, I mean, we, we don't engage each other that way. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and, and I mean, here's the thing is that I don't want to paint this picture that abolition is going to be for everybody because it's not. Okay. And I think that that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But I do, I do think that abolition as a theory, as, as a framework, as a model, as an organizing tool, I think there's so much richness that mm -hmm. we can, um, that we can learn from. Um, and I'll, and I'll say this last thing. I think that I love how Patrice Colors has talked about that, like abolition is this overarching framework and, and this, this model. And within that we have restorative justice, we have transformative justice, right? We have healing justice. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of really beautiful and amazing work out there that we have access to. I think that what we, I think that what we're in a place of is like, can we imagine it? And can we imagine it in such a way where we can bring it into existence? And so that's it. what I'm really hopeful for about this podcast. I feel like we're inviting a conversation mm -hmm. and I hope that it's an ongoing conversation and that we're not going to give a bunch of solutions and it might get messier, right? Like the, the hope is, is that you will leave with more questions, yes. with more curiosity, right? We don't need answers. <laughs> we need questions. We need community. We need accountability. That's it. Yeah. As you said, so I want to take another step further what you said about what this podcast is and, and just let our listeners know. So this podcast is a learning entity, but it's also a community building entity. Like G and I are both community builders, community healers, and 
there is a goal in this podcast to have to build a community and have engagement within the community. So we were thinking about what things we can do to build a podcast community because virtual community is something that's new to both of us. Um, and one is we want to know what you're thinking. We want to know how you're processing. We not we want to know how you're receiving the episodes. So um, one thing that we are looking to do is we want to ask you, whoever is listening, to share with us your understanding of the term abolition as resurrection. What do you know of it? What don't you know of it? What questions that you have? And on the social media platforms that you're on, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even TikTok, um, use the hashtag abolition as resurrection so that we can see where you are and what you're learning and, and how you're growing in your understanding of this. So a few weeks ago, I a few weeks ago, I had asked this question to those who are following me on social media. And the question is, what what is resurrection to you? Because G and I wanted to walk into this understanding how people look at resurrection and how how they imagine it to be. So I just wanted to take this time with my little baby to read, <laughs> to read some of the answers that I saw. One of our, one of our responses for what they saw resurrection is, is from Robin. And she said, um, Robin says, when I think of resurrection, I think of Eustace in Narnia. He's a dragon and Aslan the lion has to tear away the dragon skin to bring the boy back. And it's, it's a lot, but to her, Eustace is completely changed forever. And that's her vision of resurrection. For Denise, she keeps on visualizing um, Dumbledore's Phoenix. I'm seeing a lot of British literature in this, but anyway, <laughs> but she is visualizing Dumbledore's Phoenix. Um, and she's thinking of that, that image of stripping off dead things. And with that, she says, for me, it's also emerging new and whole with no part of my identity holding less weight on a scale of personal value to God or especially myself. And I just love that. Ray says that he saw resurrection as a new beginning after journeying through death. Megan says life emerging from the ashes of death. Grace said that resurrection to her is metamorphosis. Adam says resurrection is the, the proclamation that this world matters. And those are such beautiful images of what resurrection is. I, just, I want us to take this further and say, do you see, do you see the correlation between abolition and resurrection? And what does that look like? I love that so much. So beautiful. The common theme was transformation is, mm. is what I wrote down when I, when I read or when you read and I heard all of those definitions, um, just, just kind of building on what Camille just said. Um, yes, we, we want to hear your, your connections between abolition and resurrection. And one of, one of the hopes is, is that like, we can kind of create like a, a community, um, project kind of based around, your all's definitions of what abolition as resurrection means, what it can look like. Um, and so with this prompt, like imagine and and share using that hashtag and let's see what some well, let's see what beautiful thing we can kind of co-create together as our own learning um, community. Um, Camille, I just I want to share this too. I think um, as Camille and I have kind of just been envisioning and imagining 
what impact we'd like for this to have. One of the things is that it is, it is a community project. And part of it is to be intentional about wanting to create some culture shifts and how we relate to one another um, and, and the ways in which we can put off a reliance on causing more harm and, and really kind of putting on a, a way of being that does more work around repair and healing. And so that, that is also one of our hopes for, for this project. It is. We have a lot of hopes in this project. We do. I love it. <laughs> Me too. This is, a, this is a dream project between two friends. If anything, you can hear that. And a baby in the background. <laughs> and we're grateful that you're gonna that you've chosen to journey with us. Yes. So um I have to stop starting myself. But <laughs> Koa's happy too. He's very happy. He's very happy. He's he like, said, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for being. <laughs> that's exactly what he's saying yes <laughs> in this podcast we're going to talk about a lot of different topics that I personally didn't even know related to abolition because I saw abolition as policy change and not community development not cultural shift um and I know personally a big a big goal I guess I'm going to use I know personally what I want to understand for myself is how do we create abolition to become a cultural shift instead of this intellectual, academic, political policy shift? Um, and when Gia and I were creating this podcast, I learned I learned so much from Gia. We've been friends for so long, so I'm like used to learning so much from you. But <laughs> in this there were just deeper topics in abolition that I didn't realize we had to go into. Like you said, you know, there's restorative justice, there's healing justice, there's all of these things that we're creating. So in each episode, there is a deeper dive and we're learning from people. We're talking to people, we're learning from people, we're receiving from people who are in the field, who have this knowledge, who know what they're talking about. Um, and we're doing it because these are necessary conversations. Any movement for liberation can very easily become co-opted, as we have seen, or the language can be misused by the empire or the oppressive party. So this is a place for authenticity, for authentic learning, for authentic growth, for authentic questions, um, because authenticity is needed in, in our journey of resurrection. It is, it is a place to be honest, a place to be humble, you really can't, you can't move forward without those two things. I love, I love that so much, Camille. And I was just, just as you were talking and just bringing up the folks that we're going to be in dialogue with and just authenticity, it made me smile. And it made me smile because I know every single one of these, uh, every single one of our speakers, um, I've worked with them in different types of capacity and still work with them. And this is what I can say is that they bring fire and they bring passion, and they bring so much love, and so much warmth, and just so much like commitment to justice and liberation, and this, and a real deep belief that like my liberation is bound up in your liberation, and so you will, you're in for a treat, um, and probably there's going to be some folks that you already know, mm -hmm. um, as, and this will be an opportunity just to kind of learn a little bit more about them, so 
Yes to everything that you said, Camille. Yes to everything. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right, Camille. So you know we cannot end this episode without giving a hearty shout out to McCormick Theological Seminary, our collaborator on this project. I have the pleasure of working for McCormick Theological Seminary. I am the, the director for the Solidarity Building Initiative for Liberative Carceral Education. It is McCormick's commitments and interest um, to do justice work with individuals who have been impacted by our criminal legal system. And so we offer a a program of theological education to individuals who are detained at the Cook County Department of Corrections. And so just really grateful for all the folks that I get to work with. Um, Marlon Chamberlain, um, who you all will have an opportunity to hear from. Um, during the series. He will be one of our conversation partners. And then my other colleague is Grace Orkison. Um, And I don't know who I would be or what I would be doing without Grace. She really holds us down in a lot of ways. And so, like I said, just really grateful for their works and their commitments. Um, So in addition to offering a, a program of theological education to individuals at the Cook County Department of Corrections, we also have a couple of other programs. We do, um, we, Marlon Chamberlain and I have been working on a re-entry support system. And so working to, to make sure that the students that we work with are coming out of incarceration, that they have some support. We also do collaborative partnerships, which is part of what this Abolition as Resurrection um, project is. And, and so how this collaboration really connects to our work is through our public ed and advocacy programs. And so public ed and advocacy is where we, where we, um, we raise consciousness on these issues of mass incarceration and then also want to do advocacy and organize people so that, so that we as a collective can, can begin to, to, um, to come alongside all of those folks who are already doing this work around making social change and improving conditions for individuals who are both incarcerated and also upon their release. And so abolition as resurrection, um, is 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 in alignment um, with who SBI is as an abolition project, a re-entry abolition project. And so another part of, of our public ed and advocacy is also doing communal healing work. So how are we intentional about creating spaces for individuals who are activists and organizers, community healers, um, comrades, allies, um, co-conspirators in this work, how do we kind of create a space for them, um, a a community-based space where where healing can also take place? And and so a part of our abolition as resurrection is to do some meditations. And so I'm just really excited about how this collaboration and the abolition as um, resurrection mini Um, Lenten Easter series just really connects with the work that I get to do at SBI. So just again, thank you all for being here and really excited for, for the next several weeks. The Abolition as Resurrection Lent and Easter miniseries is provided in collaboration with McCormick Theological Seminary's Solidarity Building Initiative for Liberative Carceral Education. To learn more, go to sbimccormick.org.